Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. The story of Jonah. We all know it, right? We've heard pop psychologists like Jordan Peterson sort of expound upon it, right? It, it comes into popular mythology and storytelling in movies, and, and we see it all the time, so it's sort of trite, and we all fully appreciate it, right? Now, I think that the story of Jonah has a lot to say, particularly to young men who are currently floundering and without vision and direction. This is not something that I would use to describe the men of the Redemption Church, but it is something that is afflicting many young millennial and Generation Z men. They're just sort of directionless, uh, uh, caught up in the, the wake of, you know, third wave feminism, wherein, I mean, even femininity lacks definition and, and masculinity is sort of seen as this thing that is a, a toxic attribute to be avoided. They aren't getting married. They aren't really pursuing the, partic uh, the, the traditional marks of, of manhood. They're, they're not, uh, they're, they're, their postponement of marriage has given rise to a whole other litany uh, uh, of other potential pitfalls for young single men. It used to be that getting married was sort of this mark of self-control, right? That you now had, uh, you now had stepped into what God had called you to become as a husband who represents Christ, you know, to provide well for, for your family and things like that. But now as a, res as a result of cultural influences, COVID also kind of being a factor in all this, a lot of young men writ large nationwide are floundering and directionless. And some of them could probably really relate well to Jonah. They find themselves in the belly of the fish. Do you as well? Believers who run away from what God has called them to do, who fail to answer the call of God, who run instead toward worldly pleasures, self-anesthetization, things like this, will end up in the belly of the fish. Look at Psalm 107 and tell me if you believe that the psalmist here is recalling now the story of Jonah. Psalm 107 verse 23, others went to sea in ships, conducting trade on the vast water. They saw the Lord's works, his wondrous works in the deep. He spoke and raised a stormy wind that stirred up the waves of the sea. Right, so we can see how this is hearkening back to the story of Jonah. Every one of these psalm sections has has referred to, for example, yesterday's psalms likely referred to the people in Numbers twenty-one who came under the deep judgment of God by the by the the serpents. Right now, I think we're referring to Jonah. They saw the Lord's works in the deep; His wondrous works in the deep. This I think harkens to Jonah chapter two. He spoke and raised a stormy wind that stirred up the waves of the sea. I think this is Jonah chapter one. There was a massive storm that visited the boat. The only thing that's going to quiet the storm is just doing what God called you to do. Rising up to the sky, sinking down to the depths, their courage melting away in ang anguish. This happened uh, on the, the ship with Jonah. They reeled and staggered like a drunkard and their skill was useless. Man, the sovereignty of God is on display in that verse right there. These may have been skilled sailors, but none of it meant a thing compared to the storm that God had brought. You may be the best businessman in the world, but you are utterly impotent in the face of a sovereign God when it comes to your worldly success. Is it possible that God is humbling you, reminding you of that? Has God actually been the one who has been sabotaging your efforts to get ahead because you're trying to run away from him? You're not doing what God called you to do, and so God is sabotaging whatever it is that you do, and your skill becomes uh, a complete 
uh, a complete non-factor in the equation because you're no match for the sovereignty of God who commands the waves. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. See that? That's another theme that comes up. This is a song originally intended to be sung. This would be sort of be like the chorus, and it's going to come back uh, again. Again, verse 31 will sound familiar when we get to that one, but let's continue in the text. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. All right, now this one, I'm going to veer more toward the Christological fulfillment. This is a foreshadowing of Jesus. This is not so much hearkening back to Jonah as it is now, both Jonah and this psalm pointing forward in redemptive history to Jesus, who did exactly this in the gospel accounts. Isn't that cool? He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Jesus would even literally walk on the water, demonstrating his mastery over it, hearkening back to the very beginning of all of creation where the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. He has always been there. There's not a single molecule of water that has not been created, that was not created through Jesus. They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. Then he guided them to the harbor they longed for. Man, that'll preach by itself right there, man. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. If that sounds familiar, it's because this is another one of these refrains, these chorus motifs that will return over and over again in Psalm 107. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. All right, if God's repeating this over and over again, I think he wants us to draw something from it. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love. All right, remember, even though we can go the way of Jonah, even though we can rebel like the people of Israel in Numbers 21, even though we can give, give way to cyclical sin in our lives, he has ever remained faithful. And when there's a reconciliation between God and a believer, it was not God who left the believer behind. It was the believer who drifted away from God due to sin. And if you feel like your fellowship with God has been disrupted because you lack a current emotional equanimity, could it be that you are depending too much upon an emotional status to determine your right standing with God or lack thereof? God has not moved at all. Our feelings are no indicator of a fracture of the relationship, but there is something incredible about worshiping alongside the people of God, isn't there? There is an emotional side effect, if you will, when the people of God get together and glorify God. It's not the goal of worship. We don't treat worship the way we treat the spa. Rather, that's the house of God. We go in there to worship God. But isn't there something incredible? Isn't there also an incredible peace-giving effect when we, alongside all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, cry out to the Lord in our, in our trouble. He brings us out of our distress, and then we exalt him in the assembly. Look at this. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of elders. What's going to be different this time? Why is it for real this time? Is you didn't just come to church for Easter, but you really truly came home to the fellowship of God. Already make plans to exalt God in the assembly of the people. If you've been a Jonah running from God's call in your life and you don't know the practical next step to take, I can tell you right now, the very first practical next step is to remain in his word and not give up the gathering of the saints, the fellowship of the believers. This is again in the book of Hebrews. It's basic, it's beautiful, and it'll be a blessing to your soul. I'll see you tomorrow as we continue in Psalm 107.